We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Take a look here at Proverbs chapter 14 that uh, Jared read to us. And beginning with verse 6, and you have notes, you said, I believe Locust, uh, Locust Nguyen. Logan taught that last week. Yes, he did. And I'm going to correct it here in verse 6. All right. I'm going to pick right up where Logan left off at because uh, his interpretation of verse 6 was spot on. Because what he said in verse 6, and this leads into the rest of the text, is that in verse 6 you see two men and they are on two paths and they are seeking the same thing on the two paths, that is wisdom. But they, from their different paths, are going to arrive at two opposite destinations. One in verse 6, a scoffer, seeks wisdom and finds none. A scoffer is one who scorns the word of God. So he's looking for wisdom on his own, but he can't find it outside of the Bible. And in verse six, there's another guy that knowledge is easy to the one who has understanding. This is a Bible believer. He has the grounding of understanding in the Bible and with him, wisdom or knowledge is easy. Two men, Nothing easy because one is over the Bible judging it. The other is under the Bible being judged by it. One is smart and one is not. Point is, is that without a Bible, you can only know absolutely as close as you can about things on the lower story. Is that a new term to you? It was coined by Francis Schaeffer. The lower story means that you study things you can touch, you can measure, you can weigh, you can feel, you can see. Math, um, geography, geology, in a sense, history, um, anatomy, medicine, chemistry, you can touch those and you can find the laws by which God has them run. But wisdom is where you look beyond math, mechanics, and matter. You look to meaning, where it came from, why it is like it is. The philosophers called it the thing behind the thing. You look at anatomy, but what's behind it? Why is it like it is? What is its purpose? Well, with telescopes and microscopes, you can know things down here. But without a revelation from God, you can't know the more important things. And that's the nature of God, the nature of man, the nature of evil, what is salvation, what is my moral duty. So you tell me, is it possible to be a 4-0 grad student, not know your Bible and ruin your life? Yes, you can. Be honest, how much of your Lower story education, do you still remember? Don't email me, all right. But how much? It's fading fast, you know. I remember when I was in school at, um, I forget, where, where was it? But I can't remember it either, all right. And so, uh, without a Bible, you can know this stuff, but you can't know the stuff that matters. 
that can guide you. And this has been the dilemma of man from the beginning and then the dilemma of our country. Man has never, ever been successful playing God. Unquote. Man makes for a very bad deity. So man, I mean, do we know a lot about communication, transportation, uh, medicine, astronomy, molecular stuff? We know a whole bunch of stuff. How are we doing on morality, peace in the city, and uh, marriage? We're not doing well at all. And so without a Bible, you're in trouble. I'm watching a little deal on the news this last week. They're, they're having a plague right now of 20-something-year-old men going back to high school and sneaking in as though they are 17. And they always want to play on the junior varsity, okay, and just beat on everybody. And they're finding out that these are 20-something men playing with 16-year-olds. And they interviewed this woman that gave her opinion. She said, it's because of our messed up, despairing society that we just want to go back in time. I forget what she said, to do a Benjamin Button. Are you with me? Okay. Brad Pitt. Okay. I want to try to go back to my youth and live it over. And she just talked about the despair of our country. Uh, Logan last week, at the end of his message, he said, I look at our country and I see a malaise of brokenness that were hurt out there. And yet we have the best communication, transportation, medicine, uh, everything that we want. But we, we can't get our lives together because we're darkened unto God. And so I wanted to take that girl that said that and say, you know, there's an answer to this. The world we have is not the world we had. It's not the world we're going to have, and it isn't the world that you have to have. You can be reconnected to the God who is there. Through Jesus Christ and his word, the illumination of the Holy Spirit, you can go back and recover what you were. Amen? Do you think that if I had said, God, Jesus, sin, forgiveness, the cross, and rebirth, you think I'd have got an airing on that show? No, I wouldn't have. Everybody wants to get fixed, but nobody wants to repent. So every four years, we have a revolution, and a new guy makes some promises. But we never go back to the ultimate problem, and that is that man cannot make it without a Bible. Adam could understand everything that was there because he saw God. And God walked with him in the cool of the day and explained it to him. So Adam in the upper story had God to talk to him and everything down here made sense. God said, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Meaning where you're going to try to know good and evil on your own. The tree of independence. You're going to alienate yourself from God. And he said, Adam... Look at me right here. The day you eat of it, you will surely, you will die if you do that. You'll have everything else in the world still there, but you're a dead man. Like I've said before, the most important part of an astronaut's uh, wardrobe is the tether that tethers him to the mothership. You cut that tether and he's a dead man. And you get the tethers at like Lowe's, you know? I mean, that's NASA will go to Lowe's and get, I don't know, but that's what'll happen to you. It's a simple thing, but you close your Bible, you're a dead man. And so when I was one time in uh, Missouri, 
Liberty, what was it called? Uh, Liberty, Missouri, William Jewell College. I looked at C.H. Spurgeon's library that they had there. They bought it for $2,500. And uh, this is the greatest English preacher of all time. And his study, the, the, the library, all, all the walls around was with Puritan literature. He loved the Puritans and the great, great theologians. And you would see it with his little mark, a little quill dash on what he was reading. But then there were others on, on Christian books that were in there. And then there was one long shelf on both sides. It was stacked with lower story, stuff about botany, astronomy, not astrology, but astronomy, about animals, about different countries, about the human body, about modern science, what they were learning. Spurgeon, because he understood who God was, could be fascinated at the things of life. Isn't that something? And they made sense to him. I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. I remember when I was in college having a class in gross anatomy. I was a bio minor. And I remember looking at cadavers when you would open them up. This is dead people. All right. They were already dead when we got them. Okay. And you would open them up and look in them. And I remember as a 19-year-old being absolutely fascinated. The inside of your body is like a Porsche engine. It is tight in there. It's perfectly packed. And if you took it apart and had to repack it, you couldn't do it. I mean, you take intestines and they're folded just right. You ever get a crimp in your intestine? It'll wake you up. And they're perfectly put in there. Your heart at a little angle, it's perfectly put in there. And I'm looking at all these different parts and I'm utterly amazed. And I said to Rick, our guy that ran the deal, I said, how do you get this from two cells? And he goes, no, half cells. And he said, he said, you haven't even looked at the more illustrious things of the body. He said, this is all chemistry and mechanics and electricity. He said, where do you get into the brain? He said, we still don't know. And then he said, we're not even into the supernatural of the spirit, the soul, the conscience, and all that stuff. And he said, you get it from two half cells. What do you think I said? Do you think I said, glory to God? No, I said, what time do the clubs open? Okay. Because I was darkened to it, but I was still utterly amazed. And so now, you know, when I was a, a student, I was like a 2.3. It ain't funny. I mean, I, that's what I was. I was a 2.3. I made a D in first aid. How do you make a D in first aid? I did. After I became a Christian, I was like a, a high BA because now everything made sense to me. History, I could study it because I could... Uh, Glory in the works of God. Wonderful are the works of God. They are studied by all who delight in him. Psalms. And so I did. And so, according to this text, if you're looking for what's going to guide your life, you better have a Bible. Amen? You better have a Bible. Well, we continue here in verse 7. Seeing is how the Bible gives understanding to life. Incidentally, I, had, I think I've told you I had a professor at, in uh, 
biology, Dr. Tadlot. And he said one time to us, and he knew everything about the human body. And he said to, our, to the students, he said, I can tell you how anything in the human body works. He said, I can't tell you why anything works. He said, for that, you gotta go to Sunday school. That's a smart biologist. I can go so far, but I can't tell you anything else. Well, that's what Solomon says. And so seeing as how the upper story is so important of God, our origin, evil, how to, how, what it's redeemed by, guidance in life, the future, the stuff that matters, that you had better in verse seven, be careful who gets in your brain. Leave the presence of a fool or you will not literally know the words of knowledge. Is it possible for a pagan to rob you of your faith? It is. Uh, that's why in the Middle Ages, they would burn you at the stake as a heretic. I'm not saying that's a good idea, but they did because they felt that if you murdered somebody, you should get executed. If you murdered their soul through error and heresy, that we should put you in a place where we can't bury your ashes. That was the Middle Ages, that it's worse to be a heretic than it is a murder. And so the lower story, you can study science, history, math, anatomy, facts, but there's no real danger. But once you get into the area of God, man, morality, duty, and the institutions, what's behind the thing that you see, now you had better be careful who's teaching you. The most deadly place on earth is a classroom. Amen? It's a classroom. If I can get what you think about ultimate issues, I've got you right there. Satan didn't have to ruin Adam and Eve on anything else. He just had to alienate them from the truth. And it's a done deal. The game's over. And so you don't get grapes from a thorn bush. You ever sent your kid off to college? Be careful. Heck, when you send them off to elementary school, be careful now because you don't know what's going into them. Amen. You don't know what's going into them now. Will it make a difference in them? I don't know how to tie a square knot. That's why I made a D in first aid. It hasn't cost me anything unless I run across a dying person. Then they'll die. I can't help them. But my D in first aid has not cost me my life. The junk I was into in the 60s almost did. It almost did. And so, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, let no one spoil you through philosophy and empty deception. Through the um, traditions of men, the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ, because in him dwells the fullness of God in a body. The, when he says, let no one spoil you, the, the spoil was the pillage of war that you would take. Make sure that someone does not spoil you, does not take all of your riches 
through philosophy. Kid, what do you think? Jesus loves me, this I know. That's not true. We don't know who Jesus is. The Bible tells us, and we can't know that that is true. Love, what is love? It's a physiological thing that happens within society for personal uh, protection. That's all it is. You, who really are you in the universe? You're a collection of atoms. You are a God-obsessed ape, darling. That's all that you are. Jesus does not love, and Jesus isn't, and the Bible isn't, and it doesn't tell you anything, and that's who you are. Can that rob a kid of his faith if he's not sharp? So he says, you leave the presence of a fool. Whenever Israel goes in the land of Canaan, God said, the Canaanites listen to diviners and sorcerers and those who cast spells and those who speak with familiar spirits, seances. They practice sorcery and divination, all these kind of deals that they do out in West Virginia, all right? All these kind of human means to get divine words, astrology and the like. God said, they listen to these. Deuteronomy chapter 18, God said, you will not listen to these. Moses said, God will raise up a prophet like me, Moses, that will take his place between God and man. All that he says, you listen to him because who that rejects him rejects God. Who is the prophet Moses was talking about that would take himself and put himself between God and men and give him truth? Jesus. God said, you're going to have pagans tell you this. We don't follow them. That's why they end up in barbaric perversion. Leviticus 18. You're going to listen to whom God gives you. Don't you tell me, God says, who I am. I'll tell you who I am. Amen. So God says, I'm going to give you a revelation. Don't let these guys mess you up. Did Israel pay attention to that warning? They did not. And they're out of the land. And so you be careful about anything that will challenge you in your Bible. You tell me, as you look at the news, the arts, music, and television, is there a lot there that challenges your faith? There is. You gotta be on your toes as to what comes in. So leave the presence of a fool. Jews did not pay Canaanites to educate them. And so if you look at verse eight, the method for learning the Bible is unlike any other method. The wisdom of the sensible is to understand his ways. But the foolishness of fools is deceit. To learn the Bible, it's not just a seminar or a sermon. You have got to let it get in you to understand your ways. I used to do a Bible study, Debbie, down in Louisville. We had a guy that would sit, it was Doug Barber right there, and a guy named Herb, and he was a chaplain from World War II at the Remagen Bridge. He was something. And uh, he was a godly old Disciples of Christ chaplain. And when we would finish the Bible study, everybody would get up and start moving out. And Herb would just sit there with his head down and quiet. And I, I just asked him sometime, I said, what are you doing? He said, the sermon isn't finished until it gets here. He said, you just can't take notes. 
And the Bible is unlike any other book. It can't merely be academic. Are there Christians that keep their faith merely academic? And it never gets down here. And so you've got to get downwind of yourself. It is to understand his way. It is called honest self-examination. The spirit of a man is the candle of God illumining the deepest part of his being. Guard thy heart, O son, for out of it come the issues of life. You remember a guy in your Old Testament named Naaman the Syrian? A leper got cleansed by Elisha. And as soon as Naaman gets cleansed, he wants to give Elisha a king's ransom of money thanking him for healing him of leprosy. Uh, and Elisha says, no, I won't take a dime. I'm not going to have everybody thinking that a rich Syrian general can pay for a healing. No, for by grace you save through faith, not of yourselves, gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should. I'm not going to have you bragging that you paid for this and you got it. No, sir, I'll not take a dime. And he begged him, please take my money. Okay, that's Jerry Falbo's favorite text in the Old Testament right there, <laughs> our, our church administrator. Give me your money. Nope, not gonna take your money. Well, you ever read the sequel on what happened? That they headed off Naaman and his pals and Elisha had a sidekick named Gehazi, Don Nuts, <laughs> Barney Fife, Tim Conway, all right, and Steve Buscemi, right. and he's got this sidekick, and the sidekick hear him turn down a bounty of money. Listen to this. And Elisha said to Naaman, go in peace. And he departed from some distance. But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God thought, behold, my master has spared this Naaman, the Aramean or the Syrian by not receiving from his hands what he brought. My master spared this dad burned Gentile. I want you to listen to what he says to himself and how he justifies himself continually. He says, so I will run after him as the Lord lives and I will take something from him. It's like he launders his actions by a divine vow. As the Lord lives, I'll take something from this guy because that's the right thing to have done. And Gehazi pursued Naaman. And when Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? Matthew Henry, the commentator, would say that often in the Bible, David or whoever it was, whenever Samuel would come into the city, the elders would come to him and go, is all well? How am I doing? Am I okay? See, that's the way you, ideally you come to church. Am I okay? Sing to me, talk to me, and let me examine myself. What does Paul said we're supposed to do during communion? Examine yourself. Am I walking in fellowship with God? So he said, is all well? And Gehazi said, all is well. The fact is, all wasn't well because he's about to lie to him. My master has sent me saying, 
that his master sent him? What do we call that? A lie. My master has sent me saying, behold, just now two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Did two young men of the sons of prophets show up? That's called a lie. He's lying to himself to justify his actions because he's about to disobey God, but he's got to launder it to make sure that, that he doesn't feel guilty. He says, please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. He names it. Couldn't you give me a, a big poundage of silver and two changes of clothes? And Naaman said, be pleased to take two talents. What a great guy. He's taking advantage of a baby believer. How do you think this text is going to end? He's taking advantage. This guy is taking money illicitly from a guy who is a believer who, think, who is being lied to, to say, God sent me. Well, Naaman said, be pleased to take two talents. And he urged him. And he bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi and they came to the hill and Gehazi took them from their hand. Gehazi don't want to go down into the town with these guys because Elisha's going to say, who are these? So he says, you guys stay up here, go back home. I'll take it by myself and go with it. He's lying to himself. And he deposited them in the house so that Elisha didn't see it. And then he sent them in a way and they departed. And he's thinking, whew, I did it. He went in and stood before his master and Elisha said, where have you been, Gehazi? You can hear the spit dry up in him right here. And he said, your servant went nowhere. Sound like a teenager? Where you been? Nowhere. Oh, you just kind of just uh, discombobulated right in front of me. Are you uh, Spock? How did you do that? He said, did not my heart go with you? God told me where you went. When the man turned from his chariot to meet you. <laughs> Is it a time to receive money and clothes and olive trees and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? Elisha didn't just see what he did. Elisha saw what he was thinking about. I saw into the depth of your soul. And you wanted this money to buy all this stuff for yourself. I saw it. Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you. You're going to get his leprosy. And God says, and it's going to cling to your descendants after you. I'm going to glorify God in your leprosy. And people are going to ask why. And I'm going to say, because this guy tried to make money off the gospel. Isn't that something? How many times did Gehazi lie to himself? God, nothing's worse. And so the wisdom of the sensible is to understand what he's doing but the foolishness of fools is deceit. They'll lie to themselves. That's why when you come to church, historically, you come like no other place in the world. 
there is beautiful music playing, not Louie Louie. Who has no idea what I just said? Right there. Not Louie Louie. Not, come on baby, light my fire. They're playing the songs of Zion. And the best of singers sing. And the best of singers lead them. And the best of musicians come in and we all sing together. And we do it for 30 minutes to get our hearts ready because we're about to hear something that's not anatomy or geography. It's the very mind of God. Is this important stuff? That's interesting, but the last miracle, nah, almost last miracle of Paul is when he is in a particular city. Wait a minute. He's in a particular city and there is a boy sitting up in the balcony. He's a young guy from the next generation, all right? And Paul is preaching and he's sitting on a windowsill and it's midnight outside. There's lamps burning. He's sitting on the edge between the light and the darkness and he's on the third floor and he's sitting in the windowsill. Is that where high schoolers a lot of times like to sit in church? That's why they made church balconies, is for high school kids. I just made that up. Because you did it too, Debbie, I know you did. To get as far as you can get from the sermon, all right? And this guy, what was his name? Wait a minute. Eutychus. I remember it because your cousin, Danny Allen, said Eutychus too, if you'd have fallen off that thing. <laughs> That's how I remember it. That's your cousin. That said Eutychus, which is Greek for like good luck. <laughs> That's what it means. And he's sitting way in the back. All right. Chewing gum, cutting up sitting in the window, right on the edge of darkness and light. And he went to sleep in the preaching of Paul. What happens? He falls into the dark and he hits and he dies. That's what happens to you when you sleep in sermons. <laughs> Especially if you're a high school kid in the next generation, you're going to fall out that window and break your neck. Amen, old people. But you know what the amazing thing is? Now he has his own personal encounter with Paul and Paul miraculously raises him up. Debbie, can God reach the next generation? Yes, but sometimes they have to break their necks. Don't fall asleep in sermons. And don't sit on the edge. Don't get as close as you can get to the darkness and fall asleep because you'll fall the wrong way. Well, that's why we open church and prayers and singing. It's for everybody to get their heart right, okay, with God. Because the study of the Word of God is unlike any other study that you can do. You don't open an anatomy class and a word of prayer. You could, 
but you don't. You don't open up history in a word of prayer. You should, but you don't. The Bible, you say, God, get this thing into me. If you look at verse nine, this is what happens if you don't. Fools mock at sin. It's possible to hear moral injunctions and to make a joke about it. Y'all remember a guy in the Old Testament that disobeyed God to go and marry a Philistine woman and God interrupted his journey by a lion and he killed that lion and tore it open. A Nazarite, which he was, who are we talking about? Samson. A Nazarite can't touch a dead thing. And if they do, they have to go back to the temple and go through cleansing, cut their hair, burn it, and start all over. God stopped him. He tore the lion, but then it said he didn't tell his father and mother what he had done. He's got a public life, and he's got a private life. And he walks past it. He goes to the wedding reception, and he proposes them a riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the bitter, the dead, came something sweet. How do you get more than you started with? How does death give you life, and how does a predator give you sweetness? Because whenever he went back and found that lion returning, there was something inside of that lion. Honey, bees had made a hive. Now, if you walked past a roadkill and bees had made a hive, you saw a bunch of bees on the inside of that. I was telling this story one time in Kentucky at uh, Asbury, Asbury College. And I said, would you reach inside of a dead roadkill and take what's gooey inside of it and stick it in your mouth. I said, would you stick your hand inside of a dead armadillo? And all these Kentucky kids went. <laughs> they didn't know what I was talking about. And the guy behind me that was native Kentucky, he went, possum, possum. And a dead possum, no. They stick their hand down in this dead thing and he puts it in his mouth. And then it says he gives to his parents. And they didn't know what he had done. Here, mama, have some death. But he doesn't tell them. He's eating sweetness from a dead thing. And he's not telling anybody what he's doing. Uh, did God ultimately stop him in his pursuits? When you put out his eyes and you tie him to a, a, a press, and then you uh, chain him. He can't wander anymore. And so that's what happens when you laugh and make a joke out of evil. Got to be careful. Jeff Goldblum, great prophet of our day, back in the 60s or 70s, they did a movie called The Big Chill. It's a classic of a bunch of hippies that now are in the 70s and the 80s and they're all washed out. I look at that movie and I went, amen, amen, amen. 
And they all met together because their leader in the 60s was dead. You see his dead body in a coffin. Anybody remember who the dead guy is? It's Kevin Costner. <laughs> Early acting gig for Kevin. He was a corpse. But all the 60s guys get together and talk about how their lives has become the big chill. They're dead. And Jeff Goldblum turns to William Hurt and he says, you know, the most important thing in life is self-justification. He says, what? He said, yeah. He said, it's better than sex. William Hurt says, nothing's better than sex. He said, oh yeah, there is. He said, you can go indefinitely without sex. Try to go an hour without self-justification and justifying your, your wrong. He said, you can't make it an hour. And that's what this text is talking about. That fools, the wisdom of the sensible is to understand his way. The fools, it's deceit. Fools laugh at sin. Matthew Henry said, Samson turned his compromise into a joke. Whenever you watch late night TV or you listen to late night words of music or any time, do y'all sense like I do that the world laughs at sin? They mock it. As a matter of fact, in most TV shows today, the woman is presented as greatly intelligent and the man is a milksop that's stupid and needs to be going around. And anything spiritual is seen always as demeaning and hypocritical. Fools mock at sin. You a virgin? <laughs> Are you really? You ever been drunk? What's the matter with you? Is that a Bible you're carrying? What are you dressed up for? Going to church. Whoa, good deal. Bible thumper, fundy, Puritan, goody goody. When I was in high school, they were called, the, the, the bad guys would call the good guys rah rahs. Anybody remember that? They were the guys that were loyal to the school, would cheer for the school, had a sense of submission and of responsibility. In our high school, Waco Richville, we had a principal named Marvin Jenkins. And he said that our high school is a good high school, but every high school has always got a 2%. And so when we would have pep rallies, guys on this side, guys on this side of the gym, up in the far top corner would be the 2%. And they would have a cheer. Everybody else would go one, two, three, hook them rams, Richfield rams. One, two, three, hook them rams. And then you'd hear one, two, three, 2%. And so they were proud of their rebellion. Y'all remember when the 60s, the heroes changed from Roy Rogers and uh, Lone Ranger and Davy Crockett? They changed to Marlon Brando and Paul Newman and Steve McQueen and Clint Eastwood and Montgomery Clift. They all had something in common. They were sinners. They were sinners, but they were always the anti-hero. Why do you think that took place in the 60s after we had rejected the notion of God? Feminism, we changed the roles. Sexual freedoms, we changed this. Birth control, sex became recreation. And just that, something changed. Fools mock at sin, but among the upright, 
there is goodwill, literally the favor of God. The good guys are looking for what's right and they're proud of it. The bad guys will make fun of them. So that's why you have to be careful about leaving the presence of a fool. I can remember, I'll talk to you about perversion here. When I was in junior high and the Herring Avenue Junior High, Methodist Junior High Sunday school class, we had a lady that was teaching named Miss Hernandez. She was old school Methodist. And uh, she, I can't tell you a lot of cogent statements made during that Sunday school class all the years I was there. But on this particular day, Miss Hernandez quit teaching and went to meddling. And there was beginning among the youth of our day, smoking got to be real popular. So I remember her saying, don't y'all be going into those smoking rooms in the high schools. That's a bad thing. You stay true to who you are. And when she said that, and I remember her making this moral injunction. No one had ever done that. I went, huh? And there was a guy sitting next to me, a two percenter. His name was Jeremy Pope. No relation. I'm sorry. Jeremy Pope's in our congregation. (laughs) My bad, Jeremy. His name was Jimmy Pope. No relation to Jeremy Pope. These were the Waco Popes that were a garrulous and dissolute people. Okay. Jimmy Pope is sitting next to me and he punches me and he goes, I suppose Miss Hernandez knows a lot about camel no filters. And he mocked her. And I remember that was the first time in my life that I was the go-between. Would I say, hey, you need to shut up, Jimmy Pope. He's dead now of lung cancer. Okay. I'm sorry, I just made that up. <laughs> but I said, he, he made that statement and I just looked at him. And then I looked at Miss Hernandez and now I had to take a stance. What do you think I did? I wussed like everybody else. I just kind of went, <laughs> yeah. But that happens. When, when you send a kid to high school, do you have to teach them to get ready? You're going to have to make a stance in high school. Fools laugh at sin. But among the righteous, they are seeking the will of God. And if you'll look in verse 10, only man is able to do this. Introspection. The heart of a man knows its own bitterness. The stranger doesn't share its joy. Man of all the creatures of earth has the ability of self-introspection and knowing its sadness, its guilt, and its happiness. Whenever we sin, and it says the stranger doesn't know it, when we sin, do we try to keep it inside? We do. But do we know what we did? Yes. And that's why if you're going to seek the will of God, you have to do what is called introspection. Animals don't sin. They just act according to nature. Humans do. And they have to do introspection. The candle of the Lord is the spirit of a man. And it searches the innermost parts of his being. David, search me, O God, and see if there be in me any anxious thought 
in any harmful way. Y'all remember a guy that said in the presence of Jesus, who said, you'll all fall away. And this guy said, all will but me. I'm a better man. And he said to him, you're going to fall three times before morning time. And he said, oh yeah. He said, yeah. He said, oh yeah. I said, yeah. And he went out and he followed at a distance when this man got betrayed and taken captive. And he sat there warming his hands at the fire where nobody would know him. And all of a sudden the guy said, you were with him. And he said, no, I was not. And he moved away farther. And then a girl who was related to the guy that Peter cut off his ear said, oh, yes, you were. You're with him. He said, I was not. I don't know the man. And then a guy said, speak up. You've got an accent. You're from Galilee. You're one of the Galileans. I know by your language. And he said, my language, huh? Listen to this. And he cussed. He cursed him. Now, do you think I'm one of them? And this guy, who are we talking about? Peter. He was lying to himself. And, but all of a sudden, he caught the eye of someone. Someone who had just been beaten uh, and had been degraded and lied about, turned. And it said he looked at him. Who are we talking about? Jesus. He looked at him. And he didn't say a word. And Peter didn't say a word. He just caught his eyes. Just like Elisha and Gehazi, he caught him. And he just looked at him. And the Bible says, Peter went out and wept bitterly because he knew I've been had. There was another guy that Jesus said, one of you is a devil and it didn't faze him. One of you is going to betray me. It didn't faze him. One of you that is eating with me is going to betray me. It didn't faze him. One that I dipped the bread in and handed to is going to do it. And it didn't faze him. Go, therefore, what you do, do quickly, and it didn't faze him. He brought the cohort to kiss Jesus, and he knew it. And Jesus said, friend, will you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I know exactly what you're doing. And that guy never said a word, but he went out and hung himself. And so we, we all of us, in our Quiet. This is why it's so important to have a quiet time. A doctor doesn't have a quiet time in medicine. He doesn't have to. A historian doesn't have a quiet time in history. But a believer in God has to get alone. Would y'all say that the world can distract you? You got to get alone. And the early morning when it was still dark, he arose, departed to a lonely place, and there he was praying. You get alone. So man has to go inside of himself. And in verse 11... The end product of sin is not going to be personable. It's not going to be inscrutable that nobody else knows. And it's not going to be uh, something that is known only to you. The house of the wicked will be, what's your word? Destroyed. It's coming down. But the tent, a smaller thing of the upright is going to flourish.
and the inimitable words of Yogi Berra, it ain't over till it's over. And the returns are in. Sin goes in like a 38, it comes out like this. And so someday this thing is gonna come due on you. And would you notice also that the wicked can have a house, the righteous can have just a tent. The wicked gets there quicker and he gets there bigger, but then it's gone. When I was a young guy, my mother would buy little, what were called Dell readers. Y'all ever get those little bitty readers, cardboard, and have little short stories in there. And my mother would get them from every place. And I'd just love to sit and read them like little bonbons. You could just eat them, all right? And they had, we had one that was called Aesop's Fables. Aesop was a contemporary of Socrates. And he wrote about seeking the best way, which was Greek philosophy. And so he would tell these stories that had moral maxims, like the uh, fox that's trying to get the grapes and they're too high. So he said, "Dah, these grapes are probably, didn't y'all ever study those? <laughs> they're sour grapes. The point is that what you can't attain, you end up dismissing. And then the milkmaid that had all these eggs on her head and carrying them. And she said, I'll go in and I'll let them become chickens and then they'll have eggs and I'll go into the city and I'll sell them and I'll buy me a nice hat and all the men will look at me and say, that's a pretty hat. And I'll say, oh, down come her eggs. <laughs> it's not funny, it's, it's a terrible thing, all right. <laughs> and the moral is don't count your chickens before they're hatched. You gotta finish. But there was another one about a tortoise and a rabbit that had a race. And the rabbit, the hare, gets out way in front and takes a nap, shoots some pool, has a good time. And while he's napping, here's the turtle. It was also a Bugs Bunny cartoon, one of the funniest cartoons ever made. <laughs> and he beats him. Slow and steady wins the race. And I remember reading that. That's what this says. Slow and steady wins the race. I say to young man, you stay on this track. These guys will make fun. This guy's will run off. Bernie Madoff's way ahead of you in money. But you stay on your track because the last stanza has not been sung. All right. And in verse 12, don't get fooled. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Meaning, can you trust your emotion? Can you trust the voice of the majority? Can you trust what you think is your reason? You better not. There's a way that looks right, but when it's all said and done, you're a dead man. Remember this, when evil prospers and you're wondering why does this guy get ahead, it's not over till it's over. All right. So as Logan said last week, he said, I look out and I see a malaise of brokenness. And yet everybody knows there's something wrong. And yet 
We, have the, we can talk to people on the other side of the earth right now. Matter of fact, whenever I use some term about something up in church now, I got to be careful because everybody starts grabbing their phones. Nah, they can Google you just right now. Uh, we can get pictures from Mars on this robot that's up there. We've been to the moon so many times. I think there's a Chick-fil-A <laughs> that's up there, you know. We can give you a new heart, new lungs. How many of you in here have, some, have a, a titanium knee or hip? Anybody? Okay. God bless you. All right. We're going to start a church called the Titanium Saints or something like that. So we can replace your, we can kill your bone marrow. Take it out and put somebody else's in. You can start all over if we need to. Unbelievable what we can do. Uh, we're better off. Are we better? Are we better? Marriage, morality, the arts, common decency. Anybody want to walk through a city at night on your own? One of our staff last week stopped at a donut shop, left his motor running, came back. They were gone. Somebody stole his car at a donut shop. So this is a wicked world. Why? Because the scoffer seeks wisdom, but can't find it. But knowledge is easy to a man with his Bible. You know, when we were young, younger, my wife, I would read to my wife and our boys. And I read a story one time called, I think it was the Tower of Geburah was the name of it. And in this Christian symbolism, there was a place called the Hall of Wisdom. And what it was, was like a billboard in the story. It was a two-dimensional billboard, okay? And it was called the Hall of Wisdom. And you would enter into it. And when you entered into it, the 2D thing became 3D. You found out there was dimension, a roof, it was big. There was stuff in it that you could never see before unless you were on the inside. And through the book, these children would keep entering into the hall of wisdom, this billboard, because it was deceptive from the outside. All it looked like was a billboard so nobody would mess with it until you were told to go inside of it. And as the book read on, the kids would go in and this hall of wisdom, they would stop and go, it's bigger than it was. It's higher. It's more majestic. And they asked the angel-like person leading them, how big is this place? And he said, it's only as big as your brain is at the time, that it's infinite. And you're going to find out it's infinite. You don't know until you're inside of it. What do you think they were making a parallel with the Bible? It looks like a little two-dimensional thing until you get into it. And there is Satan, the fall, creation, the fall, the coming of Messiah, Israel, all the way to the second coming in the eternal state. It gets bigger and bigger until you die and you graduate from it and you're there. And so that's your Bible. Don't let anything separate you from your Bible. Don't be like George Bailey. All right. He just knows his life has been a waste. 
But the fact, the reason his life is so hard, he's the only guy in Bedford Falls that will give up what is personal to him and stand with what is right. And he will help Ernie and Bert and his brother and everybody. He will take care of them and say no to himself. He's the only guy that stands between right and Mr. Potter. He'll stand. And he just knows that he's, he's died to himself. His life is wasted until he gets a word from heaven and a little bitty bald fat angel. Clarence, let me show you what it would have been like if you had not been here. If you had not stood let me show you what would have happened. Your brother is dead. That ship is sunk. Your mother is a bitter old woman. Your uncle Billy is in the insane asylum. And your town is no longer Bedford Falls. What do you call it? Pottersville. And it's ugly. And you don't see the bells of St. Mary playing at the Bijou. You see X-rated stuff, girls, 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 and it's nasty. If you hadn't have been there, darkness would have taken over. Even though you look so small and so inconspicuous, if you hadn't have took your stand, evil would have won. Who do you think George Bailey was meant to be a picture of? Jesus. If you hadn't have been there, that one solitary life, evil would have taken this place over. So stand. Amen? Stand. Father in heaven, as we head off, if there's anybody here that does not know, not just know about, but has not met the Savior by the work of the Holy Spirit, that a presence comes to live within them. And their life becomes living color. That they see as the blind man all things clearly. Where previously they just saw men like trees walking. They see all things clearly. I pray that this morning you would break them. And they would realize that the, the brokenness of man. There's a way it can be fixed. And it's not by our doing anything. It's by like Naaman trusting in the word of the prophet and they can be made whole. It's just a prayer away, which makes perfect sense when it's something God does that we do not say who will ascend into heaven because Christ has come down, nor do we have to say who will descend into the abyss because he's come up from the dead. What does it say? The word of faith that we are preaching. If you just confess with your mouth, he is Lord. And believe that God has raised him from the dead. You shall be saved. And so might that simplest of act be that which delivers the greatest of bounty. And if there's anybody that is just weak and wounded and sick and sore. Just let them find some of these guys that come up front and just there to pray with them. Say, I'm with you. Let's pray. Let me introduce you to this guy. And so this is the hall of wisdom, the Bible, the people of God in this church. And it just gets bigger and bigger the longer we go. And we'll ask all of these things 
through him whom we shall see face to face someday, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.